March 5th, 2020, Nanaimo, British Columbia. I am pleased to welcome Nanaimo, British Columbia, and Sir Oxman Stadium to play host to the 13th team in the West Coast League. Nanaimo Baseball, from the coal mines of Douglas in East Wellington, to number six in Jingle Pot, from Departure Bay to Nanaimo Harbor, Gabriola, Wellington, Cassidy, and Extension. This is their story. This is Cobalt. Welcome, everyone, to another inning of Coal Ball. In this particular inning, it's going to be great because we have a dynamic duo joining us and uh, it's going to be telling us about their history, going to be telling us about some great things that they've done in Nanaimo, not just for in Nanaimo, but also for the community of baseball in Nanaimo. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome in this inning of Coal Ball, Mr. Doug and Dan Rogers. Good day, gentlemen. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks for inviting us. Good, thanks. For people who are who are listening in, they, they probably don't know your voices and who exactly you are. So, if Dan, if you could just introduce yourself real quick and then Doug yourself so they can recognize your voices, sir. I'm Dan Rogers. I'm the older brother. And we probably sound very much alike, but I'm Doug Rogers and I'm the good-looking brother. <laughs> I always tell my brother, you know, even though you're older, it's supposed to be wiser. I'm the good looking one. So I hear, you. Yeah. I hear you on that. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us at this inning of Cole Ball. We really, really great, greatly appreciate it. And, you know, we, we wanted to have you on because we want, we want the fans out there and the people that are not in Nanaimo, we want them to kind of uh, get a better understanding of other people that have been in the baseball community for a while and that have provided a lot back to the community and what they've done. But first, so, so Dan, you're the oldest. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about early on that the early on baseball interest. When, when, when do you remember um, that baseball became of interest to you and that you started getting into the game? Well, uh, we, the family of, uh, lived in Victoria. There was myself and, and two younger brothers. We always had a, a passion for sports since uh, day one. We played uh, multiple sports, uh, hockey, baseball, pretty much anything that you can you can play as, as uh, kids growing up. And uh, I, you know, I started at T-ball like uh, a lot of kids do. And uh, uh, played hockey for the most part uh, you know, during the winter with a little bit of soccer mixed in, and then uh, you know, and then played ball during the summer. And, uh, and my interest with all sports uh, you know, started from those early years, and uh, ultimately it, it progressed into 
basically uh, becoming full-time with baseball after I moved up to Nanaimo. Now, what about you, Doug? When, uh, when do you recall when your interest uh, in baseball began? Well, again, very much the same. Being the younger brother, I was force-fed by the two older ones, you know, the, the road hockey games, you know, uh, Doug, you're in goal for 20 goals, and then we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll switch. And, and, of course, that turned into 40, 60, 80, 100. So I never came out of net. So I was I was force fed the sport uh, when I was young, but that was great, you know. And it was no different. It was it was hockey in the winter, baseball in the summer, and and again I moved up a little later than Dan. But when I moved up, uh, I was thirty ish and turned all my attention to baseball and coaching. When when I was younger, I played obviously just like everybody else uh, up until. But with me, I ended up hurting myself when I was. 20 years old with a rotator cuff and back in those days rotator cuffs were uh non-recoverable you, you were you're pretty much finished and uh so i got into coaching right then and uh never looked back so i started coaching when i was 20 and and uh i'm still doing it now wow yeah those rotator cuff injuries back you know years ago were just a death sentence for anyone who ended up getting one because it's just the, the recovery is not like today where you can go in and you know, in an hour or so you're done and you're on your way to recovery. So yeah, I totally get, you know, what you're saying with that. Now, um, now for you and for you, Doug, did you, did you have a specific team, you know, that you enjoyed growing up watching, you know, you were in Victoria. So clearly the, you still had the Expos, you have the Blue Jays, but you know, did you, did you happen to like, you know, any other major league team here in the state side or was it just, was it a Canadian team? No, I was never really partial to the Canadian teams. I, I was always the, you know, Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, LA Dodgers. Uh, when I was growing up, although I never really followed teams with with players moving back and forth with with contracts that sort of thing, you never had a team stick together for anything like the time. So, I just liked the game. You know, I, I one of my best memories was when I was uh, a teenager at our house in Victoria. Over the summer, if I actually had a day off and I could watch uh, Dodgers play or somebody on TV, I'd go out on the porch and, and put the sprinkler over top of myself and just lay on the on the lounger and watch double headers when there were double headers back then all day long, you know, and uh, take crap from my parents, but it didn't matter, it didn't move. That's how I learned the game. Yeah. Now, now this, I'm I'm assuming if I'm if I'm correct that this is back, you know, not not too long after the Dodgers went to L.A. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, what, what was it about the Dodgers that, that you liked? Well, it was, it was my father's team. So, uh, you know, if they were on, they are the only team we watched, you know, and, and and hopefully they would play somebody somebody good, but it didn't matter. Whoever they played, we'd be watching them and, and listening to Ben uh, on the radio or on, on TV and and, uh, and the radio. We had them both on. But, yeah, yeah it, was, it was my dad's team, so it was, it was mainly a Dodger house. Now, what about you, Dan? Were you were you also a Dodger fan, or were you a bait just a baseball fan? What what was your take on that? Uh, I yeah, I, much like Doug, I never really had a specific team that I I liked. Uh, I used to like to root for any team that could beat the Dodgers just to get under my dad's skin. Uh, it was the same in hockey. If uh, 
if he liked the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, I purposely wanted Boston, what, who he liked, just so that we had a, an opportunity to argue against each other about whatever sport it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, the Red Sox can kind of get under anybody's uh, anybody's skin. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Red Sox fan, but you know, when you say that, <laughs> it's like being a Yankee fan. It's like the the evil empire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so talk to me. Now let's talk both to you both. Okay, you're growing up on the island um, in Victoria. Clearly, it, you know, island ball, possibly a little bit different than that being on mainland. How how was that? How was it like for you growing up on in Victoria and on the island, um, trying to play baseball and play competitively? Well, with me. Um... It was interesting because in the in the province of BC, uh, Victoria had always had a very strong uh, Babe Ruth program. Uh, the Sydney Babe Ruth All Star Team, I guess you would call it, was sponsored by the Victoria Firefighters, and that program won year after year the provincial championships. So we had. A certain amount of respect because of that, and uh, uh, we fed off of it. But uh, typically, what happened is that the mainland would produce most of the players that played for the uh, the BC Select team uh, or the Canada Cup team, as they're known now, and uh, that always caused friction, and it, it turned into a real competitive situation that ultimately led to. Uh, a group of us putting together the BC Premier League, and we can talk about that later on. But uh, that was the crux uh, of the, the Premier League starting is that we just didn't get the respect that we deserved on the island for the, the players that we produced. Yeah, being, again, being that, you know, the island, and, and it's the difference. But, you know, having done the research for, for Cobol in, in all, I mean, there were some really, really good competitive players um, throughout the years, even, you know, from the mid 1800s all the way on up from, you know, from this beginning of competitive ball in Victoria. There's there's been a lot of really good talent that's come out of that particular area. Maybe maybe it didn't necessarily get to the major leagues, but there's a lot of good talent that's played on that island. Um so yeah, definitely that. So, w- what's your take on that, Doug? Yeah, I mean, as far as the 1800s go, I mean, Dan can speak to that because he's about that age. But <laughs> with, with, with me, I mean, I, I grew up in uh, like say in Victoria, but I the, the group I played with, we went along together as a group, and, and from 16 to 18, we won is a provincial title. So. Uh, again, yeah, it, it created huge rivalries between us and the mainland. And, and I think over the years that Dan was involved, Dan and I was involved playing, we, we had the lion's share of the wins. Uh, and it's it's still a little like that, even in the Premier League right now. You know, the, the island is looked at as sort of a casual uh, resort sort of uh, atmosphere, everybody's laid back, but it really is in the Nanaimo, especially a, a baseball town. Yeah. Now, now, when did you guys play together at any point in your in your careers? Uh, we uh, we started playing together uh, 
uh, after minor baseball, when we became senior players, uh, we had there, there was a senior league in Victoria, and uh, um, I'm not sure if we played on the league teams during those times, but I actually formed a travel team, uh, and Doug and I played together then, and and then when we moved up to Nanaimo, we joined the senior league here, and we played on the local teams in Nanaimo. Now, please describe for us because. Being in the U.S., senior gives another meaning, but I'm assuming that it's 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 in the teenage years. Is that correct? No, that's uh, essentially adult baseball guys. That uh, now it's actually um, a lot of kids want to play ball during the summer, and at, at that time there wasn't um, the West Coast League programs around, so they would form the senior league so that they could stay competitive. And, and uh, that's kind of what we're talking about. Guys that uh, still want to play competitive baseball, but are outside of the minor baseball system. And, and uh, there are senior leagues throughout the province and, and they have BC championships as well. And there's uh, uh, a lot of ex-pros, a lot of college players that play in these leagues. And, and uh, at, at the, with the top programs, quite often a lot of the senior national team players used to come from them. So it can be quite competitive. Now, what position did you play, Doug, when you were you were playing baseball and kind of what led you to play that position specifically or was it multiple positions? I played multiple positions. I, uh, I played short most of my career. Uh, I, I pitched quite a bit, hence the rotator cuff surgery. Uh, and as I got a little older, you know, into 18, 19, I moved over to third and even played a little bit of the outfield. Uh, but I never, never, my brother here is putting the gear on. I mean, he was a catcher. So that was one of the positions I, I never wanted to play. That's what led to my, uh, my arm injury. What about you, Dan? What, what position did you play in, in, or, or was it multiple positions? I, I was the, the dumbest of dumb because uh, I was a, a goaltender in hockey, so I loved to have pucks shot at me. And then I became a, a catcher in baseball and you know, where I was blocking home plate and had people throwing balls at me all the time. So uh, I, I played multiple positions as well, but those were my primary. My catcher was a, my primary position. I played some third base and, and – uh, I always had a strong arm, so occasionally I would go on the mound too and and throw as hard as I possibly can to try to get people out. But uh, you know, uh, growing up in a, a family with uh, two brothers, we were always playing stickball and uh, and doing whatever we could to get better, uh, competing against each other. So we could we could, we played most positions and played them decently. Now, when when you're playing together, who was harder on one? Who who was the one that was harder on the other? Well, I think as the older brother and Doug is you know seven years younger than me, well, we beat up on him pretty good. Uh, you know, we uh, we as he mentioned earlier, he, you know, he would get forced into playing goaltender when we played ball hockey, and uh, he was the one that had to chase the home run balls when we played stick ball. Hit it, you know over into the neighbor's yard or whatever. So uh, it was me that hit the ones over the fence. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. that, that made me better. I mean, looking back on it, yeah, you, you, those are just great memories, you know, and you, you kid about them and everything. But that's what makes you better. And, you know, the, the hard-nosed competitiveness nature of both of us is how we coached it. When, when uh, you know, when, when either of us coached, we were, we were hard on our kids, you know, and not just our own kids, but, you know, whatever team we, we coached. And, and we uh, discipline was, was laid out. Yeah. Now, now staying with you, Doug. So what, what was one thing that you, that you could say, like, if you're, if you're watching your brother, so what's one thing that you'd say, okay, Dan did this really, really well. And I wish that I could do that just as good as he did. And then what's one thing that like, you know, in the opposite way where like, Hey, you know, if that you felt Dan maybe could do a little bit better. Okay. Uh, Well, yeah, I actually got to pay him a compliment here. That's this will be a first. So it probably hit it. You know, he he could always hit. And uh, I was a, a more of an average guy, you know, I had a little bit of pop, but he had lots of pop. He, he could hit, he, he was a bodybuilder and he, he carried that into the batter's box with him and he could launch balls. So, uh, it would have been nice to be able to, to do that the same, um, as far as what he could have done better, uh, probably a little less, uh, drinking, uh, after games, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'd get himself, uh, I'm talking senior men's here. So, but, uh, in my opinion, that's not such a bad thing. I don't ever watched the Michael Jordan series. Uh, I just loved the, uh, his attitude, and we both carry that type of attitude when we when we play and coach. Now, throw those questions over to you, Dan. What do you, you know? What what is it that you felt like Doug did really good when he played baseball, and what's one thing that you felt like he could have worked a little bit more on? Uh, Doug was probably the the most uh, talent. He probably had the most talent of the the the, uh, the three brothers. Uh, he had a real good feel for the game, uh, real good instincts, uh, had real good hands, and uh, played the game the way it should be played. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he ended up with with the injury fairly young, uh, and that. Uh, you know, pretty much ended his chances of playing at a higher level, which was unfortunate because he certainly had the talent to be able to do that. So uh, uh, I, I always wish wish I had as much natural talent as he did. I, and uh, uh, but I think we both really uh, were students of the game, and 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 uh, we learned the game inside and out, which made us both good coaches down the road. Now, you know, there's, there's some people that would say, okay, well, you know, clearly things, things happen for a reason. Um, and, and for your, you, Doug, it's, you know, you get your, your, your shoulder injury, which like you said, it, it shortened your, you know, your career, but it, it, it started a new one, which was, which was coaching. So do you, do you believe that, you know, that's what you were, you know, you were intended to do and that, that basically that injury is, is your, your way of, of moving on and, and giving back to the game on a different level. You could say that I'm not a big fate believer, but I, I do, uh, I do look back and I'm grateful that I have had the years coaching that, that I've had, you know, the, 
35 years of coaching and being able to to coach all these kids, you know, uh, friendships I've made, the parents I've met, all that, all those things that go along with coaching. Um, I mean, I'd never have had that if I if I hadn't got injured. So, yeah, it, it's bittersweet, but I would never give back the 35 years that I, I put in as coaching. It is it has been a blast. It's it's, it's a passion. It's uh, something that. My wife always says, you know, if if uh, you're passionate about it, you keep doing it. And I, I, I kept doing it for all this time. And and uh, now that I'm stepping away, it's it's a transition. It's tough. It's tough because it, your whole life is is spent going to the ballpark, and your whole day is is set up for you. You know, you leave at seven in the morning, you come back at seven eight at night, and and uh, you do it all over again the next day on weekends. And and now there's so much time, I just don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> now back to you dan i mean so what was it like what did you do like after after your high school years um i mean i have heard that you know you played a, you played a little bit higher um a ball after after leaving high school yeah i was you know i i thought as a canadian i thought that my my path was going to be through hockey i was a i played junior hockey and um i got approached when I was 18 or 17 to, to sign as a free agent with the Houston Astros. And I had to make a decision on the spot as to whether or not I was going to uh, pursue baseball or hockey. And as a Canadian, I thought the path that was going to be the easiest was hockey. Uh, when hockey didn't work out, uh, I had an opportunity a few, a few years later to play for a, a pro team that came to Victoria. Unfortunately, I was working full time. I just gotten hired at, at, at the fire hall here in Nanaimo. And uh, if you're familiar with minor league pro ball, essentially they play just about every day of the month. So it was a real struggle to try to juggle my work and and my uh, dream of playing pro ball. So it didn't last very long. I had two young kids at home and a wife and, and obviously this career. And uh, I, I obviously needed to make an, an impression on, on the, the coach that, that uh, wrote out the lineup every, every game. And, and it was going to take some time to do that. And I didn't have, have the time to wait. So I ended up uh, making the decision to, to step away and, and, and go back to my regular life as a, as a working uh, person and, and a father. So, uh, you know, that was my experience. I have no regrets. It, it turned out perfectly as far as I, I'm concerned. Uh, the fact that uh, I got a chance to coach my kids growing up and, and then have made all these uh, really strong relationships with kids over the years that uh, are like my sons, uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way, to be honest with you. So why coaching? Like why, you know, was it because you had ki- was it because you had children of your own? And you wanted to to teach them like your passion and your love for the game, or is it just because you wanted to to for the both of you? That is, is like, is it just that you guys wanted to 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 continue being a part of the game and and and, and continue to uh, pro- help produce co- uh, quality players, but also give back to your communities? Well, with me, as 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 you know, I hurt myself when I was nineteen twenty, so. 
I, I didn't have kids at that point. So, and I, I dove right into coaching and, and like I said, it was all passion. You know, I, I it just drew me in. It, it hooked me. It's like, it's like golf. When you, when you get hooked, you're, you're, you're hooked. And, uh, when my kids came along, it was just a natural transition to, to coach them as well, but it didn't stop me from coaching higher level, uh, with them and, and, uh, coaching multiple teams. So it was just a passion and, and we grew up so competitively and, and uh, we learned the game so well from our father and from, you know, other coaches and TV and that sort of thing, listening that we had a lot to pass on. And, and I wanted to make sure that we, we could see the way kids were, were growing up and how they're being taught. And, and there was a different approach, a higher level that we could give. And, and uh, Dan started with the, with the premier team here and, and I, I took it over and, and and took it to where it is now. So it's, it's been just a great ride, you know, and, and um, I'm still not quite out of it yet. You know, I'm still helping out with the senior team. I just can't stay away from the ballpark. So uh, still, I still feel there's, there, I, there, I can still teach and there's more to give to these kids growing up. Yeah. Now, what 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 year did you guys move to uh, to Nanaimo from Victoria? Well, I uh, uh, I moved up. Uh, I think it was in um, oh geez, uh, I'm horrible with this kind of stuff. But uh, I think I moved up in in '79. That that's when I got the job with the fire hall, and uh, I had played. Uh, junior hockey here in Nanaimo for the Clippers. And I had met a girl uh, while I was here, uh, you know, and and, and uh, she helped me get a job with the city that ultimately led, uh, led to me getting a job with the fire department. So I moved up then and, and immediately got involved with, uh, with baseball in the senior league, uh, ultimately took over coaching. Um, and then shortly after that, my, Kids came along, and and uh, a few years later, they started to play. And very much like Doug, uh, you know, I was a a parent who was going to keep my mouth shut and sit in the stands and watch my kids play. But uh, when I saw that it was parents that were uh, the ones that kind of got roped into coaching, and and uh, they didn't have the background that I did, and uh, and they weren't passing on the the right fundamentals at an early age, I decided that uh, my years on the sideline were over and that I would get involved with coaching. And that's how it all kind of began for me. Yeah. Now, Doug, what was your first coaching experience like and in, in, in at what level? Do you recall that? Mm, yeah. Uh, just after I hurt myself, uh, I was 19, 20-ish. And I ended up, starting to coach a team in the senior men's league, the competitive league that Dan was talking about. So I was, I was coaching players that were older than me. Um, we had, I was 19, 20, they were 30, mid thirties, you know, ex pros. And so I was thrown in, uh, right off the bat and, uh, had to form a pretty thick skin early. So that was my introduction to coaching. Uh, if I could could survive that, then uh, and I did obviously, and and I loved it. And then I, then I started coaching young kids, and and then 
I was more tailored to high performance. I, I, I didn't coach much as far as uh, house league ball. It was, it was more high performance stuff. Uh, that's where I think my, my lane was, but um, I moved up here. Uh, I've been up here. I've been in Nyman now for 21 years. So um, a good chunk of coaching in, in both, in both towns. Now from those early years for you, Doug, and then moving on, Looking at it retrospectively now, how would you describe yourself um, then as compared to now, coach-wise? Coach-wise. Well, it was a a different game back then. Um, It was a harder game. A lot more went on uh, physicality uh, compared to now. and. Dan and I've talked about it quite a bit, you know, these days you have to adapt. The coaches have to adapt. And if you, if you don't, you either get yourself in trouble or you get fired or you just, you can't perform at the same level coaching wise. uh, If you, if you don't deal with the changes that, uh, that have happened through society, you know, and, and uh, kids are different. They're a lot different these days than they, than they were back then. And uh, if you try to coach the same way, you know, if you're a militant coach, you know, back in the day and you try to use that philosophy now, it, it just doesn't work. The kids are different. So I've changed a lot and uh, pretty proud of the way I've changed. You know, I've, I'm a stubborn guy, but I wanted to stay in the game and I wanted to adapt. So I tried to uh, learn the new techniques, but also learn the new mentality that, that kids bring into the game. Now, do you think that any of anything that you knew now could have helped you be a better coach when you first started? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. You know, I haven't really looked at it that way. I think if I, I think if I coached uh, back in the day, the way I coach now, um, uh, players might look at me sideways just because of the hard, the hard nosed nature of players back then. And uh, they, they demanded, uh, discipline and and if you want if they wanted to move on to the next level they definitely needed it they still do these days you just have to take a different approach to it so no uh, i mean a lot of the techniques absolutely i mean the techniques of today are is just evolution it's so much better than they were back then you take those techniques back to that era yeah you'd make uh, uh good ball good ball players great so everything's yeah. evolved in the in the in the best way possible for this era Mm -hmm. now last last question for you for and we'll get back over to dan but do you think because of the the improvement in technology and because of the you know the way that you know let's say for example for for you as a pitcher okay so baseball has clearly changed where you know in the in the 70s maybe in the 80s and then I think probably late 80s, early 90s is where you, you start to begin to see the change in how many innings you're thrown, what, how you're being used as, as a pitcher. And so are, are there things that you, know, you would have been helpful, maybe from a technological standpoint, you know, any sort of statistics, do you think that could have changed the game for the better when you first started coaching? Or, do, or, or how is it that – or do you think that that's like just – different philosophy and, and only works now. 
No, no. Yeah, uh, it, it would it would be a balance, you know, and it still is. Uh, again, we're old school coaches, but we've had to adapt to the present. And and if you took your old school ways and tried to force feed these kids on, you know, having to throw 120 pitches a, a game and and to gut it out and you know just that type of mentality, it it, it it's not going to work. The analytics. Uh, have improved the game. Now, there is a balance there, you know, and, and that's something that if, if old school guys can adapt, like I think I have, there, there's a, a good balance. You know, like I can I can look at a pitcher and I can see if, he, if he's tiring and have a feel for his competitiveness and, uh, you know, his, his physicality. Is he is – he, past his pitch count and you know instead of just looking at the, the pitch counter saying you know 85 pitches is he is he still strong is he still confident that sort of thing and, and that's that's what old school guys can bring to the new era of, of baseball you know and, and trying to teach some of the old ways to, to play for your play for your community instead of yourself and and uh, it just there's a lot of good that came out of baseball back in the day you know, and there's a lot of good today. So if you, like I say, if you can balance those two things, you really, you really got some. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. And I appreciate that. Now, Dan, over to you. Um, when, when you first started coaching, you had the experience that you did from your youth to a little bit of some, you know, pro ball. Now, what, what are some, leadership aspects that you take that you took from those that you were coached under and and then brought to the game of baseball from your a coaching standpoint well uh as doug alluded to it was a different era back then and uh, i definitely would have been considered an old school type coach uh, one of the things I always tried to uh, reinforce was that it didn't really matter where you played your baseball, whether it was in Nanaimo, British Columbia, or Los Angeles, California. You know, if you were given the same uh, opportunities, the same coaching, uh, a 15-year-old here could be as good as a 15-year-old down there. So I wanted to make sure that the kids uh, that I coached realized that if they put in the, the work, uh, if we gave them the right information, that they could be every bit as good as uh, anywhere else that uh, they uh, probably in their minds uh, thought were better than they were. And uh, so I worked real hard on that part of my coaching style was trying to make sure that kids believed in their in themselves and that they had the confidence and they played the game competitively. They never quit. They uh, uh, they, they you know they they took an attitude onto the field every single game that they had a chip on their shoulders and they could compete with anybody. And uh, uh, that's where I. Uh, I think I um, had a real strength, and and why most of my teams 
did well over the years. Uh, I, I'm really proud of that. The fact that we started the Premier League because the island wasn't getting the respect that we thought we deserved, that we uh, believed we had a lot of really good players over here that just weren't making the, uh, the competitive select teams that uh, the province were put together. So uh, we had to convince the kids from uh, this area that they were as good as anywhere else. And that uh, if we worked really hard that we could uh, make a difference and, and, and get opportunities uh, that otherwise weren't happening back in those days. So uh, that's how I kind of summarize my coaching style. Yeah. And, and let's 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 talk about you know the difference in because you know if you're if you're from Southern California, clearly you're you can easily play baseball year around, but when you're from Nanaimo, British Columbia, you don't get that opportunity. You know, at least pre batting cages being formed in inside buildings, uh, having the ability to go pitch inside these inside these places that have committed to development of of our youth in in baseball but clearly how how did you guys overcome that as coaches to try and help create better talent in your area well i'll start with that uh you know one of the things that we did was form this bc premier baseball league where you were playing against the very best players in the province game in and game out and uh and you played a full summer of baseball. You know, one year I coached, we we actually played 100 games during the summer. And we, we were playing against the very best talent that we could find both here in BC and in the States. Uh, so the kids were being exposed to uh, players that were better than them uh, uh, regularly and, and learned early on what they needed to do to compete at that uh, that level. And then yes, uh, uh, we you know we we decided to do indoor training. We we found facilities where we could do the uh, indoor stuff. But I actually think that there there was a bit of an advantage for our kids because uh, because of our winters and the fact that we couldn't get outside and play year round. They got a bit of a break. Uh, their arms got a bit of a break. So did their minds. They, they, they weren't uh, uh, losing interest in, in the game, so to speak. They actually had a, a break from being on the ball field 12 months out of the year. And I heard from a lot of scouts that they felt like uh, our kids' arms were fresher, that they weren't having as many arm problems, uh, and that they had a real passion because they weren't getting burnt out. So, uh, you know, that's my thoughts on. Uh, where we took baseball back in those early years to uh, bring it up to where we could compete with anybody. Yeah. And, and I, you kind of start hitting on a, an, an interesting point that I like to talk about when we're talking with coaches um, it, is that when you're, when you're, when you're trying to develop a player, some of the, some of the guys that I've spoken to has said this, that we, we like to have somebody who's playing more than just baseball, who who's playing other sports, whether it be football, basketball, uh, swimming or tennis or, or whatever, or wrestling, whatever it may be. 
some or hockey, somebody who's developing other muscles in their body and, and strengthening them. Uh, do you do you think that because you had those different seasons and weren't able to play uh, baseball year round help the development of your youth in, in your area? And, and, and both of you can answer this question. Yeah, I, I do. You know, I although I, I've coached uh, up until I coach in this era, I've coached, you know, the last 10 years of the Pirates and uh so the mentality of the kids, Danny had to had to get the kids to believe in themselves and, and say, you know, try to get them to believe that they're as good as their American counterparts. And that was a big hurdle back then. I mean, baseball wasn't like it is today. It, it, it was all about the states uh, and the Canadian kids were really intimidated by American players. It's not like that. I with my teams, it, it hasn't been like that. They're, they believe their parity with. Uh, with, with American counterparts. So, uh, and what's nice about the, the cross training and, you know, Premier League's gotten so, so, so good now that we can be working out 12 months out of the year, you know, very much the same as, you know, California and all the warm weather states. But when I coached, I, I, I like kids to play basketball within their, their school system or, again, hockey. And, and, and like Danny said, you've been called by scouts, and I, I have too. But the scouts, they, the American scouts, they love the Canadian kids because of the hockey mentality they bring to the ball field. Uh, the grit, you know, it's a, it's a different sport uh, that's wide, obviously widely played here and, and not so much in the States. And uh, – I don't know how many times I've got a phone call saying, do you have any more kids that, you know, that have been on the ice who play hockey? And, and uh, they just, they have a different attitude about them. Uh, so obviously hockey brings out something that uh, uh, in the competitiveness of, of a ball player that is liked by a lot of coaches. And I mean, I, I see it too, you know, we have, multiple kids on, on our team that play hockey and they're, and they're the ones that, you know, stick their nose in it and, and uh, just, just won't give up. So I believe in cross training, you know, again, another balance, you know, I, I, you know, go on record as saying, I, I'm not a big believer in, you know, if a kid just wants to go out and, and shoot hoops or, or play at a, at a house league level, just kind of fooling around out there. I think he's better off training you know, whether it be in the, being in the gym or, or training at his sport in baseball. But if he's, you know, a fairly high-level player in hockey or basketball or, or soccer, one of those things, then we give that, those kids a break to be able to take the time they need to do both. Now, now Dan, if, if you had – because there's, there's probably coaches that are, that are going to listen to this. There's, there's going to be young athletes or even older athletes – uh, and even parents listening to this, what 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 are some things that you think as as from your coaching mentality that you believe that that young athletes can do when they're not playing uh, baseball competitively during a season? Well, I'm a I'm a real believer in uh, taking a break from uh, your your primary sport. So, you know, if, if you're, if you believe that your future is in baseball and uh, you want to make something of it and you have played a long competitive summer uh, and, um, 
and your season has come to an end, rather than uh, jumping right into playing on a travel team or uh, uh, going indoors and, and, and working out uh, with baseball, I absolutely believe that taking a break, a mental break, probably as much as a physical break, and doing something else is really important. And, uh, uh, you know, for kids that are uh, maybe graduating from high school and looking to uh, head down to the States on a uh, college opportunity, then certainly uh, going into the weight room and, and working on uh, getting bigger and stronger is going to be important. Uh, but for younger kids that are 15 and 16, uh, I really believe that if uh, they have uh, if they're an athletic kid and, and they have other sports that they like to play, they're probably playing them competitively. And that break from baseball and playing that other sport is very much what you said, where they're developing uh, balance and, and different muscles. And, 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 and those things are going to ultimately be beneficial for baseball if they choose baseball as their primary sport, you know, uh, as they get a little bit older. So, uh, that's always been my belief, and uh, you know, with the kids that I coached, it was the norm back then. Uh, it changed a little bit uh, as Doug came along, but almost all the players I coached played multiple sports growing up and continued to play those during the offseason from baseball. Yeah, there's a there's a great book that I read by Jacob Kornheiser. It's called a cup a cup of coffee club. And that that books, it's about clearly about baseball, but what it's it's about those individuals that got their one shot at the show or for those who don't know what I mean by the show, that's got a shot at playing, being in a professional baseball team in major leagues. But it was like their one and only chance. And some of those experiences um, that those individuals had, they had to deal with failure and, and failure on the ball field. So it, it goes beyond in, in, in why I'm bringing this up. Cause I know it, it goes beyond the physical aspect of getting in the weight room and training. So how, how do you, how do you two approach the mentality of the game? The not only having success, but how, how they deal with failure. How are you, how did you teach your players how to deal with failure? And what would you say to those maybe that haven't experienced failure yet in the game because they've either been really, really good at the game or they just been on a team that's been really good. How, how do you explain that to somebody or how do you teach them to um, accept failure? Well, uh, that's a good question. It's uh, it, it goes for me when I coached uh, individually, because some kids deal with failure a lot better than others. And it, it's getting them to, at a mindset where, you know, in baseball, it is it is a game of failure. And if, if you can't deal with failure, it really may not be the sport for you. Uh, they can overcome, you know, and, uh, you know, if you you fail seven out of ten times, uh, you, you may be in the show, you know, and, and to be able to at the plate. So if you can convince them of that and being able to uh, – to, to lose that failure mentality after, after making an out or, or an error or, or something, you know, giving up a home run. That's an individual accomplishment, but it has to be coached individually. You, you can 
try to teach it as a group, but for me, I I try to teach it individually because every every kid is different, and I can I can tear a strip off one kid who will react uh, positively to it, but if I do the exact same thing to to player B, he will he will shell and uh, and he'll be he'll be worse off and and won't be able to overcome. So it's it's a, again I, mean, I use the word balance a lot because it really is coaching is a is a balancing act and uh, um, again failure is is part of the game and what, once you get the players to believe that and be comfortable with it and and, and goal set as far as the seven out of ten failure well if you you succeed three out of those ten uh, you've done something pretty special at at, at the levels that, that uh, Dan and I have coached at. Yeah, exactly. And and Dan, how would you how would you define your role as a coach? I mean, you're not just a coach. You're not just a teacher of the game. But how how would you define that additional aspect of a coach and and what what they do uh, for the team, what they do for individuals? Well, I think that uh, a lesson for anybody that gets into coaching at the level that we do is that first of all, you have to have a, a passion for the game that is really comes across to the players. And secondly, and just as importantly, you have to show the players that you really care about them, that you, you're there uh, for their best interests. And uh, if you demonstrate those two things, uh, you're going to have players go through brick walls for you. And I think that was uh, something that uh, I recognized early on, that if I could get the kids to believe that I had their best interests in mind, that I would work my tail off to make sure that whatever their goals were, uh, I was going to give them every opportunity to meet them uh, with my uh, passion and effort. Then they would do the, the hard work that's required to have the belief, as Doug alluded to, uh, to feel like they can go up against anybody and, and be successful. And and to me, that's the key to, to succeeding in baseball is having the belief. You actually have to believe that if Nolan Ryan is on the mound and you're at the plate, that you're a good enough player, a good enough hitter to get a hit against him. If, if, you, if yeah. you go up there believing that uh, uh, you're – doomed to fail, then you probably will. And uh, I worked really, really hard on that part of the uh, uh, part of coaching where I constantly talked to the kids about you're good enough and, and uh, you have the talent. And it's amazing what you can accomplish as a, as a group when you have a bunch of players that feel that way. Yeah. Now, Doug, over to you. What What's one thing that you think that you learned most from your players while coaching from my players. Correct. Uh, I would think the, the passion they have, like Dan alluded to, um, uh, whether it answers your question or not, uh, trying to instill that passion that, we have as coaches because players emulate their, their coaches. And, you know, if, if 
and I always tried to do that as as a coach. You know, I'd be the the first one at the ballpark, the last one to leave, the one uh, working on the field, and always always doing something. So they would see that they would see the work ethic and, and the passion that I had, and it, it would rub off on them. And maybe what I learned most from them is, is how quickly they adapt and how they they want that. They they truly do. You know, when they first come come to your program, they're they're green. You know, they're they're just, they're kids that they don't know you. You don't really know them. And and uh, and then as as years go as a year goes on and and the practices go on, they adapt to you and you adapt to them. And it's it's harmonious. It, it's as Dan said. Once once they buy in, it, the the sky's the limit. I mean, uh, they will do anything for you. And then maybe that's something I've, I've learned most from them is how quickly they adapt. And and that I would take that approach every year. Once I once it clicked in as a coach that I knew uh, this is the approach I wanted to take. It, I learned from them that they, they would adapt to me uh, every year if, if if I did those things, if I did the right things every year. And uh, it it happened, you know. And then you get a special group that that buys in maybe a little more. You have a couple leaders on the team that, that uh, other kids follow. And it's not just the coach, obviously it's, it's players on, on your team that are special kids and you, you really get something you get. And, and the, the, the best thing to see of all as a coach is, is that uh, the, the bottom kid, you know, strive and, and have, have success uh, to where he, he, and you probably never thought he would reach. And then that's the most gratifying thing uh, as a coach is to see that come at the end of the year. Now, what about you, Dan? What's, what's one thing that, that you believe that you've learned as a coach from those that you, you taught the game of baseball? Well, I think that uh, you, you end up as a coach learning that every kid is a little bit different and, uh, uh, you can't coach one way for every kid. So you really have to listen to their uh, their story, I guess. Uh, you know, whether or not they are coming from uh, a, a home that is strong and, and, uh, and supportive or a background that is uh, uh, set up for them to struggle and you have to listen to what uh, that player needs uh, to be successful. And, and I think that is a real strength of uh, being a good coach is, is being able to adapt to uh, the different kids. So uh, to me, it was about trying to get kids to open up and, and, and tell me what it is that they need uh, for me to be able to reach them. And uh, Ultimately, it became one of the most satisfying parts of coaching is that once you establish a, uh, a relationship, a bond with the kid, it seems to be something that uh, lasts a, uh, a long time or, or, for that matter, a lifetime. A lot of the kids that I've coached, I'm still really, really close with and, uh, uh, and see on a regular basis. And you know, that's, that's what I hear a lot is, is that those that are mostly influential often tend to really stay in touch with, with their athletes after their, their, their playing time with them. 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I'm playing golf tomorrow with three three kids from the years that I coached, all, all pro ball players that uh, I've seen in contact with over the years. And uh, and they they'll pull me up out of the blue and and say, hey, I'm in I'm in town. Let's get together, coach, and get a golf game and and have a beer and and just catch up. And and that has been absolutely the most uh, uh, the best part of having been involved with coaching uh, as long as I did is is the relationships I have with my former players. Yeah, and this brings up a really good good opportunity to jump in on this last question before we start getting really heavily into Nanaimo um, and, and finishing up this inning. But you just brought up a really cool thing that I want to talk about. So you're, you're having, you know, going out to go play golf with these other, these other athletes that you used to coach. Do you, do you still, both of you, Doug and Dan, do you still find yourself coaching these players beyond their time? when they're coaching with you, like, for example, if you had a player who is in college right now playing ball and they're like, Hey coach, you want to go do something? You're like, yeah, sure. Let's go play golf. And then they're out there like, Hey, I'm I'm just having a really tough time throwing the ball, like throwing this curveball. I can't, I'm not gripping it right. You know, what am I, what am I doing wrong? Or like, you know, I'm up the bat. I'm, you know, my slugging percentage is down. My batting average is down. I'm over 3000 and I just need to do something differently. Am I, am I swinging differently? Are, are you so, so using those as examples, are, are you, are you guys still kind of teaching beyond when you were, they were your co- uh, players? Well, I'll go first. Um, I, I've been out of coaching now long enough that uh, I don't necessarily get into fundamentals anymore. I probably would direct any, fundamental concerns to someone who is playing at a higher level uh, or playing at a higher level now um, and, and could, could uh, pass on some of the new nuances of, of uh, things that I probably have forgotten about or am not uh, up on anymore. I would probably go right back to my natural instincts and, and tell them that uh, they should uh, believe in themselves and, and that they have the talent and and uh, and, and and don't get bogged down in, in the in the weeds with the uh, all the details of of uh, the game. You know, sometimes you can overanalyze. It's very much like golf. You can overanalyze everything that you're doing to a point where you're uh, paralyzed, and uh, and quite often you just have to believe in yourself and relax and let your uh, talent come through. So that's probably where I would go. And uh, like I said, direct them to uh, some of the players that I, that are currently still playing at a high level and, and maybe they could, you know, help them with, with techniques or fun, fundamentals in that regard. Now, what about you, Doug? Do you, is, are you, are you the same way or, or is it because you're still kind of more involved in some way, shape or form that you, you give okay. advice? The short answer for me is yes, <laughs> I will. I will dabble in in whatever they're having problems with. Although I, I don't want to step on their current coach's toes, and I will ask, you know, if they're having troubles, uh, 
what are your coaches trying to to do to correct it? You know, what are their techniques? What's their philosophy? And I'll, I'll build off that, you know? So uh, it, it's just in my nature to do that. It's, uh, and I know usually the kids coming back that are either pro or in college, I've known so well that I probably know them better than their current coaches as I've coached them for multiple years where they're, wherever they are now, they may be coached by a certain coach for a year, maybe two. So they may be not seeing something that's maybe a little off center that I've dealt with this, uh, that player over the years. And it may be just something very simple. They, again, like Dan said, go back uh, to the mechanics of simplifying things. It, it could be as simple as uh, recognizing a pitch or recognizing a count. If you're having trouble hitting, you know, pitch recognition, just, you know, throw out the, not throw out, but just disregard for the, the moment, the, the analytics of the game and let's simplify things and, and uh, try to work that way. Because a lot of these kids come back to my practices and, and help out current pirate players and, and they're not far removed from, you know, game situations uh, right away. So they're pretty current and, you know, it's, it's something that, they they want you know they they want to hear from whether it's Dan or I or, or one of the other coaches that they've dealt with and and uh, I have no problem with that whatsoever I, I I enjoy that part of it. Yeah. So before we get into the tail, the tail end of, of this inning, I want to want to hit on a couple other things, but I really want to more get into detail about Nanaimo baseball in, in the area, and want to talk about like with for you guys like Siroxon Stadium um you know we had a we had an episode or an inning on Siroxon Stadium and the Siroxon club so we we've heard a really we've heard a lot from some very knowledgeable people about the building of Siroxon Stadium kind of what it means to some of the players there we've you know we've even been told it's like Siroxon Stadium to some of them is like going to Yankee Stadium so what is it, you know, what was it like for you when you guys first kind of saw Siroxon Stadium, like went into it and and started uh, coaching ball there? I'll start off. Uh, when I moved up from Victoria, to be honest with you, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that Denamo had this unbelievable ballpark uh, for their uh baseball programs here. Uh, I walked in there and I was just blown away. It, it was, it, you know, it had to be one of the best ballparks, if not the best park I'd ever been in. And uh, you got to remember, we're talking about 40 years ago when it was still really a relatively new ballpark and it, it was fresh with you know, uh, fresh paint and, and it looked quite different than it did, does now. Um, the road into the ballpark uh, was just a gravel road. Um, there was these big, beautiful trees out in, in the center field area that lined the road. So the, the background was spectacular. And I went, you know, uh, I just didn't, uh, for the life of me, believe that uh, I didn't already know about it because it, uh, it, it shocked me. And to be able to have that as a, uh, a field in which I could go and play my games in and then ultimately uh, bring my kids up 
and, and have them use it uh, was almost too good to be true. So, uh, yeah, we're really lucky here in Anamo. It's almost a hidden gem. Most people don't even know it's here, even uh, including uh, a lot of the people that live in, in town here because it's kind of tucked away behind the high school and, uh, and you know, it, hockey tends to be still the biggest sport in town. And, and a lot of people uh, haven't been out and, and had a look at what we have here. So uh, it's it's really special. I, you know, probably back in those early days, you could easily say it was among the very best ballparks, amateur ballparks in the country, if not the the best one. So uh, yeah, pretty special for me, absolutely. Now, how about you, Doug? What what was what was your thought, and you know, kind of what do you, how do you what was your impression of it? Honestly, when I when I played, when I came up and played, you know, a handful of times. Uh, as Dan said, I, I love the atmosphere of the ballpark because it, it's enclosed. It's it's a real field. You know, it's uh, has a great feel to it. But when I played, it wasn't looked after. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Uh, a, in as nice shape as when, when Dan played in it. It just depends on how it was looked after. So when I finally moved up here, of course, what do I do? I, uh, I ask who's looking after it and, and I bid for the contract to look, to look after it. And because there's so many things that I wanted to, to not so much change, but just to improve upon, you know, the surface and the, the turf and, and those sort of things. So I've been, I've been doing it. Uh, I think I'm, going into the, my, my 14th year of looking after the stadium. Uh, and it's really blossomed, you know, and, and it's, that's sort of my second passion, if not my first, you know, uh, equal to baseball itself and coaching is, is being able to look after a field like that and, and being out there on my own and seeing, you know, uh, the, the fruits of your labor after you put some work into it. So, and, and that said, it, it was, uh, regarded uh, in in a couple of the years that uh, um, I was here that uh, it was regarded by Major League Bureau that number one amateur field in Canada so I think uh, there's some there's some photos out there of it um, the helicopter took it 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 really is a spectacular field and, and being a 50 year old field uh, it's still like a pool table. There hasn't been any give to, you know, the outfield or infield. There's no rolls. There's nothing. It's, it, it's a carpet out there and there's still room for improvement. That's the beauty of it. I mean, now with lights being put in and, and some, some major structural changes to a 50 year old building, it's, it's only going to get better. Yeah. And let's, let's talk about it getting better. Cause in March of 2020, the West Coast League, along with the Nanaimo uh, Partnership Group, announced that there will be a 13th team uh, headed to Nanaimo in 2021, named to be determined at this point. Uh, but how, what, what's this going to do for the community um, as a whole? And putting on your coaching hat, what do you think this will do for players in the community? Yeah, this is uh, the best scenario we could we could hope for is that we have we'll have in place now with the the West Coast League team uh, something for kids to aspire to all the way through the amateur ranks, and uh, we have a 
we have the premier program for the high schoolers. We have uh, a college team for kids that want to play college baseball. And then we have the new West Coast League team uh, that uh, the kids can uh, play while they're still trying to pursue potentially a professional opportunity. So we actually have everything amateur-wise in place here in Nanaimo. I think we have to be the envy of, of the province uh, because if, if uh, a kid has dreams of, of uh, grandeur as far as baseball is concerned, everything here, uh, everything is here for them to achieve that. Uh, especially with the, the, the new West Coast League team here, you know, uh, there isn't anything that is missing. It's not like the, uh, they have to go outside of an animal to be able to uh, get something that they don't already have here now. So it's exciting. Uh, hopefully it, uh, it only uh, builds the, uh, the game here in animal as far as the number of kids that are playing. You know, maybe we'll get more crossover kids from other sports that uh, will come out and watch this level of baseball, uh, very much like what happened in, in Toronto when the Blue Jays first um, started playing there. Uh, baseball really uh, blossomed and, and uh, attendance and registration for young kids just uh, went through the roof and, and hopefully it happens here too. Last question for both of you, and we'll start out with Doug. Why, what makes Nanaimo a baseball town. I've always said it uh, that you know, even you know, as far back as when when I moved up here, is this is a two sport town. I mean, nothing against all the other sports here, but it's a hidden baseball town, and it, it sort of proven that as I've coached the Pirates. It, and, and if there's a, a big game or, or an event, if we brought up a team from Cuba here and it went wild. Uh, the stands were packed, you know, and the interest was there. So I always, I always knew it, you know, and the registration and the minor baseball has always been strong. Uh, it's just a matter now with a West Coast League team coming, it's, it's going to pull, pull that forward. Uh, it's a blue collar town. It's, it has that grit mentality to it. And, and the teams that we've coached shown that when we play other teams, I think the, the, the town is going to explode uh, positively for this, this new team coming in, uh, you know, putting on my baseball or my coach's hat for a second. You know, I, I always said having a, a team of, a pro team here, or even a team like the West Coast League team, which is you know a step down, but higher than anything we've we've had here, is can only benefit the players, whether they're high school age or or, or or further down, is to be able to those players be able to see what a player in his position can do, you know, and and we've never had that here, and I've always said, you know, if you have a chance to watch TV, watch whoever it is at your position and watching their manners. But again, on TV, they don't show everything. It just shows gameplay. So we've never had that where a, a player could go out and sit in the stands and watch his position and learn. I mean, that's the way I learned to play uh, is by by really, really focusing and, and being a student of the game. And it's something that was lost here. 
uh, has been lost over the years just because there hasn't been anybody to look up to. Now there's going to be, and it's something to strive for because let's face it, these kids that I coach are high school kids. This is a the level they want to be playing at. You know, the 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 freshmen coming in, you know, from UCLA and 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 you know major schools that they're going to be able to see and and uh, and emulate. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be something like and nothing that you've ever seen and. And just in 2019, you know, you had the number one draft pick in Major League Baseball, Adley Rutschman, who played at University of Oregon, who did play in the West Coast League. You had that talent. And then you had Andrew Vaughn, who who played a little bit with the Victoria Harbor Cats, went number three um, that year. And then the year prior to that, in 2018, um, you had Nick Madrigal from... Um, also from the Oregon State University, who went number four in the draft and did play for the Corvallis Knights. So you're going to get that talent level that's coming through um, on a weekly basis in, in this area in the summertime. Um, now over to you, Dan. Um, what do you what makes what do you think makes Nanaimo a baseball town? Uh, I think it's a real sports town. Uh, as Doug alluded to, it is blue collar. And I think blue collar towns tend to support uh, minor league teams, whether it's a minor league pro team or a West Coast League team or or anything like that. It, they're always looking for entertainment value. Um, so I think uh, from that point of view, uh, the new team will be supported they'll have a lot of loyal people that are looking for that entertainment and will come out and give it a shot. And I, I have no doubt that uh, uh, it'll be a successful franchise and, and it'll uh, grow quickly. Um, you know, I, I think the fact that, that you have a lot of people that uh, uh, really have made their way through hard work and perseverance, will recognize the fact that you know here you have a bunch of kids that are on the cusp of big things, and they're putting in uh, all this extra work in the off season away from their college programs to to achieve their goal. That'll be really attractive to to the people of Nanaimo, and uh, for that reason, I I think uh, there's no doubt it will be successful. Well, excellent. Gentlemen, Mr. Dan and Doug Rogers, I, I really appreciate the two of you uh, in the time that we've spent together learning more about you, your coaching careers, and uh, really taking a deep dive into kind of what what's going through your mind, what you're thinking, and, and how you've helped uh, the community of baseball. So thank you um, for, for, for your interview. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate you having us on. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. Yes, great. Uh, th- and that'll do it for this inning of Coal Ball.